We've been this summer going through Acts chapter 15 and we've been, or the whole book of Acts, and we've been talking about how Jesus came to curse the normal. And this week really isn't any different from this series because I really believe that when we step into the, the dynamic journey of believing that Jesus is living and active, is in pursuit of us, and we want to be in relationship with Him, He is going to mess up your life. I mean, seriously. All the things that you've accepted as normal for your life, He's going to turn those things upside down. You just can't continue the way that you were. Matter of fact, I'm going to make the case that I I think Jesus is looking for a fight. I I think He's come to pick a fight this morning. Because the reason is because I think that when Jesus comes in our lives, he pushes his way into our lives. He is not the uh, the image that we often see, you know, with the honey brown hair and, you know, the even trimmed beard and those sweet blue eyes that we see. I think that Jesus is a force to be reckoned with, that he is on the move, that he is a warrior for us. And part of his fighting for us feels like he's fighting against us. Like, I don't know about you, but in any area of your life, do you kind of sweep trash underneath the carpet? To where, if we looked at your life closely, there'd be these little bumps in the carpet of your life. And Jesus isn't content just to walk across that carpet. He pulls up that carpet and goes, well, what's this? Wow, that that can be violent, can't it? But he also is pushing us into each other. Jesus is actively pushing us into each other. And I can tell you, when he pushes us into each other, conflict happens. Fights happen. So, whatever happened to, like, kumbaya? You know? Thank you, Mark. Can I have my Bible? (laughs) I'm going to try to turn to Acts 15, too. Because what you may have thought about the church may be different. Look at 15, chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judah to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. And this is what they were teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Now your Bible may say it differently. Uh, literal translation is that they became aggressively engaged in argument with them that they began to argue with these guys that were teaching that they have to be circumcised, you have to be circumcised to be saved. Let's see what's going on here. Some people had come to know Christ. They were leaders in the Jewish uh, religion. They were Pharisees. They were teachers of the law. And they'd come to know Christ. They had become Christians. And Jesus was Jewish. And so they closely associated Jesus with their Jewish faith and saying Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Well, something radical started to happen in the early church, and that was Gentiles, non-Jews, started to become Christians. They started to accept Christ. It's hard for us to imagine when most everybody in this room are a bunch of Gentiles, you know? And most of the Christians that we know are Gentiles. But then, in the early church, this was astonishing. This was unheard of. They couldn't imagine that the Jewish Messiah actually came to also save Gentiles. And so as they pondered this, they said, well, if they're accepting Jesus, who is Jewish, then they also need to accept our heritage. And they couldn't let go of their tradition and their ways of doing church. 
And one of those traditions was circumcision. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, we have a slideshow that we're going <laughs> to... That would be weird, wouldn't it? Talk about, that's a cool way to get more seats in this room, isn't it? If you don't know what circumcision is, you're not laughing. Go Google it, all right? So what's the big deal? The Pharisees are saying, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't throw out the whole law. We can't throw out everything we've been doing for thousands of years just because Jesus came. We accept Jesus did on the cross, but hey, come on. You also have to add to what Jesus did on the cross all our heritage and tradition. Paul and Barnabas said no. They were so committed to fighting this fight that they took it all the way to Jerusalem. They said, we're going to take this to the heads of the church and let them decide. Because Paul and Barnabas were saying that there is no way that we can add anything to what Christ did on the cross. If you can turn there quickly, go to Galatians chapter 5. Because in Galatians chapter 5, we see where Paul talks about this controversy and how he sheds some light on it. Chapter 5, verse 2. He says, mark my words. Explanation point. I, Paul, so there's no confusion who's talking. That's like somebody saying to you, have you ever been in an argument with somebody and they go, you know, they do the chili palmer thing? Look at me. Look at me. Only Okay, all right, thank you. All right, you know, look at me. Wait, I am speaking. It stops everything. And this is what Paul says. I tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. What Paul is saying here is it's not that this is a little controversy. This is huge. This is everything. If at any part of your life, if there's any room in your life to where you're saying, what Christ did on the cross in paying for all my sins, and then His resurrection where He rose to newness of life so that I rise with Him so that I can live a new life to God, that if any of that is plus the work that I do, how much I go to church, how much I pray, how much I read the Bible, how many good deeds I do, so that those things added together gives me right standing with God, Paul says, if you're going to add anything to it, it has no value whatsoever. See, here's what's at stake. The first thing that's at stake is our value. Our value as people. Are you loved or are you not loved? I mean, seriously, if you got a pen, write this one down. Your value is at stake in this, Christian, in this question. Does God love you? And does he love you enough? Like, do you got, do you have all of God's love? If your question, if your answer to that question is, I don't know, that's a dangerous place to be because our value as people come from the fact that we are radically, absolutely loved by our Father. Now let me, let me try to explain this. Imagine that you were an orphan and you got adopted and this family brought you in and they said to you, hey, you know, man, we just, we, we really like you. And we just hope that one day we can really love you. We'll just wait and see. 
what would that do to that child? That's the same thing that happens when I walk into the presence of God and say what Christ did was not enough. That I've got to go to church more, then God will love me. Or I've got to go to a Bible study, then God will love me. Or I've got to quit this sin, then God will love me. Or I've got to get better in this area, then God will love me. Or that I've got to, you know, you fill in the blank. I've got to get something fixed, then God will love me. Paul says it's not Christ plus anything. It is Christ and Christ alone. The second thing that's at stake here is our identity. Who are you? Do you belong to him? Are you in his family? Yes or no? Is it settled or is it still kind of out there in fuzzy land? Let's go back to the orphan illustration. What if the orphan, you bring the orphan into your home and you go, Oh, we love you. We love you unconditionally with all our heart and all that we have is yours. Well, that wouldn't be much for us. But see that old motorcycle in the garage? Yes, that is your inheritance. (laughs) Big deal. So you say, everything I have, I love you unconditionally. Kisses, kisses, hugs, 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 hugs. But we're not going to give you our last name. We'll see. What do you think that would do to that child? Okay, I live here. I'm loved. But I can't wear the name of this family. They do family talk with me, but I don't belong with the family. Are you in the family or are you not? Do you have a heavenly father that says the riches of the kingdom of God are ours because we are children of the king? That's what's at stake. The third thing that's at stake that he says is who is your defender? Are you alone? Or is God your defender? Has he stepped in and said, you have nothing to fight for anymore? I will fight for you. The battle is yours. It's not yours. It's mine. We'll come to that, back to that in just a minute. And the fourth thing that's at stake is your ability to be honest. Because if, if I don't know where my value is, if I don't know what my aunt, where my identity is, and I don't know who my defender is, there is no way in heaven or in hell that you're going to be honest about who you really are and what's going on inside of you. Okay. It's not just how it impacts us, but it also impacts how we love. Look at verse 6 in Galatians 5. For for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And what Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what you've done or you haven't done. It doesn't matter what you're doing or or what you're not doing. What matters is... Faith expressing itself through love. If those four things are true about us, we can begin to let faith express itself through love. Now help with me. Stay with me because we're kind of plowing through this and we're about to get to some application because what is faith? My ability to receive the gifts of God. The gift that God gave me, faith that I could receive the gifts of God. See you, Mark. We love you. That faith, I have the ability to receive the gifts of God. And when I receive those gifts of God, love is my ability now to let those gifts express themselves in my community and the people around me. But oh, when we do that, it's going to get messy. When you start walking in your value, your identity, 
When you start walking in that he is my defender and you start walking in honesty and then out of that place you're going to love other people, get ready for it. Get ready. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about love. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safely in a casket of your selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will not change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is where? Hell. So how do I deal with conflict? If Jesus is picking a fight by pushing me into each other, how do I deal with that? And some of you are saying, well, it's easy. Christians don't fight. You know, when we're living in perfect harmony, we just we just don't fight. You know? <clears throat> Woodstock. Do your own interpretation. Acts 15. It wasn't just Paul and Barnabas fighting with each other for the truth. Listen to what happens in verse 36. Sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, Barn, buddy, pal, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. They had just gotten back from a missionary journey in the known world. And Paul is saying, let's go back. Let's go check up on them. Let's see how they're doing and encouraging them. Well, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take take him because he had deserted them. If you write down Acts chapter 13, you'll go back and see that on their missionary journey, John Mark went with them, and about halfway through their journey, he bailed on them and went back to Jerusalem. We don't know why. Well, Paul and Barnabas, verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement They parted companies. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers of the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Do you see what happened? Barnabas said, hey, Paul, I'm with you. Let's go, man. They had locked arms and they had fought together. They had faced all kinds of adversity. They had been imprisoned together. And now they stood up against the Pharisees and said, No, we're going to fight for truth, for value, for identity, you know, for who is our defender, and we're going to fight for, you know, the, the ability to be honest. He said, I'm with you. Hey, let's give John Mark another chance. Let's take him with us. Paul said, No. No way. Let's get a little picture of this John Mark. John Mark wasn't your flunky. He was actually the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. I mean, this guy's a heavyweight. 
And he also happened to be the cousin of Barnabas. That family thing going on, you know. And this was a guy that we hear a lot about throughout the epistles. What is going on here? Who's right and who's wrong? What if they're both right? What if they're both right and the deep conviction that God was giving them? That God was calling Barnabas to take Mark and Paul was calling, and God was calling Paul to take Silas. And you need to go your separate ways. But without their ability to step in the conflict that Jesus had pushed them into each other, they may not have determined that. So let's talk about fighting for just a minute. Because I know some of you, there are some of you in this room that, uh, fighting has never been an option in the family system that you grew up in. Conflict always equals bad. That no matter what happens, that we avoid conflict at absolute all cost. Some of you, is there anybody in this room that the thought of conflict actually makes you want to throw up? That the thought of getting into a heated discussion and debate where two sides are going at it and words are being said, that the thought of that makes you physically ill. We were on a youth missions trip once, and and sometimes on mission trips, the only time that we really step from, hey, we're having a great time, to God is working, is conflict. And so we were having the conflict moment where Jesus was showing up and just tearing everybody to shreds. And there was a girl over in the corner. And she couldn't even lift up her head. She was sobbing. None of the conflict had anything to do with her. She just couldn't handle being in a room where there was conflict. See, some of us in this room, we are so convinced that conflict is bad that we will apologize for anything. I mean... We can have things done to us and we will still go, oh, I'm I'm sorry. I apologize. Because we believe that if we eat it, that if we take the blow, that if we're the ones to take the blame for everything, it's going to make everything okay. And that's what Jesus wants. Everybody to get along, everything to be all right. I grew up in a home where uh, my grandmother uh, knew how to work my mom. I mean, she could call and have a tone of voice and my mom would avoid conflict and do whatever my grandmother said. So every vacation we had as a child was either, if we did anything fun growing up, it was because we did it on the way to grandma's house. Because every vacation and every time we would leave my grandmother's house, we'd be pulling out, I'd just spit. And uh, I hope that upsets some of you. Let's get conflict. And we would be leaving the driveway and my grandmother and my grandfather would be you know, waving and they're on their canes even though they don't need canes, all right? My grandfather could outwalk me at 98, all right? And they're waving goodbye mom is crying and she turns around and she said this every year. And I can remember this like at the age of three, okay? This will be the last time we see them. <laughs> they're getting old. They're not going to be here next year. We'll be back soon, real soon. My grandmother, we celebrated her life. She passed away in January. She lived to be a hundred years old. And she played that card every year. We're not going to be here. And instead of my mom going, oh, time out, mom. Time out. That would create too much conflict. And you know, the reason I can joke about that, because that's me. I'm a people pleaser. 
I would, I like it when everybody's getting along, when everybody's hugging and laughing, you know, and just life is good, you know. Conflict seems like that's not what that is. I have to fight to be a good fighter. And you may be like that. Because underneath this, I'm going to make everything okay. Let's don't have any conflict. I'm going to be the peacemaker. I'm going to settle everything. Here comes the questions. Do you like me? Please like me. Please. Do you see good in me? Please see good in me. Because I'm really, I'm a good person. Do, do you want to stay? Please stay. Because conflict pushes you away. And those three questions replace the gospel for me and they become my idol and my God. I will do whatever it takes for you to like me. I will do whatever it takes for you to see good in me and and appreciate me. I'll do whatever it takes for you to stay around. Here's what happens in that for people pleasers. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, let me tell you what's happening in your life even though you may not recognize it. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. He brings leadership. He guides us. That's why we put our offerings on the wall instead of passing a plate because you need to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit in every area of your life because the Holy Spirit is speaking. He is working. Are you hearing Him? Do you recognize His voice? Is He guiding you through the Scriptures? When I make making you happy my goal, I do violence to myself. The reason I do violence to myself is because I take the convictions of God and I throw them down. And I say, what do you want from me? Let's just don't fight. What do you want? Well, what is God saying? That doesn't matter. What do you want? All I can see is you. And that's why conflict is so bad, because I have to kill a piece of me to be in conflict with you. That's bad fighting. Does that make sense? Are you all tracking with me? Because some of you can't relate to what I'm talking about. Because some of you love to fight. People pleaser? You kidding me? Tee it up. Bring it on. You're not people pleasers. You are people destroyers. And some of you operate like this. You have no... You you love a good fight. Matter of fact, conflict. You look for conflict. I grew up in high school. My best friend, uh, who's in prison, he uh, he really is. I mean, you know, all my buddies I grew up in high school are either dead or in jail or in a cheap hotel. And you know, and everywhere we went, he had this chip on his soldier. He was this big, you know, I, and. And, you know, the word what came out of his mouth probably four times a night. It always sit shivers up my spine because he would see somebody looking at me and go, what? You know what that means, you know? I will kill you. <laughs> what? I don't know why we were friends, you know? I, I think it was anger, envy. And, um, and some of you, some of you are not fair fighters. Because you love a fight, but you won't admit it because you say, I'm a Christian and I can't say that I love fighting because I love Jesus and Jesus doesn't fight. And so what you do is you push it down, you you kill your convictions, and you push it down until you can't push it down anymore, and then the situation happens and it explodes. And when it explodes, you destroy people. You know, there's a story 
the movie Walk the Line, the story of Johnny Cash. You remember the scene where he's with his father and his whole life is about pleasing his father and his father despises him because he blames him for his brother's death. And they're at the Thanksgiving dinner and he's got the new farmhouse and, you know, and everything's new and shiny and he's trying to impress his father because he just wants his father's. Just, just tell me that you're proud of me. And he's got this brand new tractor, but it's stuck up in the mud on the hill. You remember the scene? And finally, his father stands up at the, at the lunch and says, Mr. Big Shot, Mr. Peel Poppin' Rockstar, who are you to judge? You got nothing. Big empty house, nothing. Children you don't see, nothing. Big old expensive tractor stuck in the mud, nothing. Those are like nuclear bombs that he's flying over his son's life and dropping them. Some of you do that. Some of you are like the air assault for the military. Man, I am loaded for war and I've got the ammo and you're not going to last. UFC. Fight until the bloody end. But let me tell you something about that kind of fighting. It is the greatest expression of self-protection. It's the self-protection that says, I'm right. I rule. I will win. And no one will touch me. And when you live like that and you fight like that and the Holy Spirit, which is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, gives you a deep conviction, the only way you know to express that conviction now is violently. I can only express that conviction by shutting everybody else down, by destroying the people around me and proving Paul Paul and Barnabas crashing together. In that situation, a destroyer would say, no, there can't be two answers to this question. I've got a conviction and I'm going to destroy you with it. That's not love. Amazing. Some of you that struggle with this way of fighting, that it's your natural tendency God has given you such unbelievable gifts of discernment. Some of you that are just strong, just snap, trigger, happy people, you you have the ability to see things in people's lives that the rest of us only stand back and envy. But instead of using those discernments as as gifts of the Holy Spirit to step in and love people, you use them to find the weak spot in somebody's armor so that you can get in there and drop the bomb. That's not fighting fair. You know, the people pleaser says, I hate me, I'm wrong. The people destroyer is, I hate you, you're wrong. But this wasn't the case with Paul and Barnabas. Remember, they were living in the gospel. It's not Christ plus anything. If my value is sure, my identity is sure, my defender is sure, and I have the strength now to be honest. Those four things were pulsating through Paul and Barnabas. And because of that, this is how they fought. The first thing they did is they didn't avoid the conflict. They were honest about their convictions. They both shared their heart. This is what I believe. The other said, this is what I believe. Let's sit down and talk about it. They were honest with one another. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of me. You guys may not know that this church is led by a session. And this session, there's seven of us on a session. We're the elder board. 
we fight for this first one. We we stop when we're discussing things and say, let's just let's just stop for a moment. Is God moving in any of you? What does God want to say through you? If God has given you something and it's not the same as He's given the rest of us, we gotta hear that. We fight for this. Because having somebody say, I'm hearing something different doesn't threaten our identity, it doesn't threaten our value, it doesn't threaten who our defender is, and it doesn't threaten our ability to be honest with one another. So the first thing, healthy conflict, is that we're honest with one another. We're putting it on the table. The second thing is they loved each other enough to speak the truth. Let me explain. Ephesians chapter 4. This is 14 through 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Speaking the truth in love. Well, let me explain to you what that means in conflict. The first is we're honest with each other. We're putting it on the table. All right, none of this, well, you know, maybe you wasn't honest with you. No, we're putting it on the table. The second is we're speaking the truth in love. What that means is the ability in a conflict to say, I care more about you than I do about me in this conflict. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean you give up your convictions? No. We don't give up being honest with each other. But we do step in with love and say, I will fight for you. See, as a body of believers, when we get into conflict for one another, we have to remember that Christ has laid down your lives one for the other. Remember that? How can we do that? Because we know who we are. We've not lost our value. We know our identity, whose family we're in. We know that we're not the defenders of ourselves. That's the Lord's work. And we know because of that, we can be honest about our own struggles. When I fight with you, I am completely open to the ability that I may be wrong. So I'm willing to fight for you. If I'm in a conflict with you and I'm spending all my time protecting myself from you, that my conflict now has become about self-preservation, how am I going to die for you when all I want to do is protect myself from you killing me? Can't do it. So the second thing is speaking the truth in love. Love each other well. And then the third thing is to continue to love each other deeply after the conflict. In 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul talks about how much he loves Barnabas. In Colossians 4, 7, he was in prison with Mark. And he talked like, man, this is awesome that Mark is with me. In Philemon 24, he said, Mark sends you greetings. He was with Mark again. And then in 2 Timothy 4.11, he said, please send Mark to me. He is so useful to my ministry. This conflict, even though Christ even sent them in different directions, did not result in them going, I'm, I'm writing them off. It did not keep them from having the obligation of loving one another. So, I'm through but you're not. If we're going to be in community together, you're going to have conflict. I'm promising you that right now. I mean, some of you may go home and cuss me every Sunday. I'm like, bring it. All right? If you need to talk to me, come on, let's talk. 
and I won't handle it perfectly, and neither will you, but you know what? We're going to put it on the table, we're going to learn how to love each other, and we're going to continue to love each other. Some of you have conflict in this room that you're avoiding, saying the hard things, because you so want to keep the peace that you think any kind of conflict is going to destroy what the Lord is working, when the Lord's probably working right in the middle of that conflict. Don't swallow your convictions. And don't use your convictions to beat up each other. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. I don't know what I said today that may have touched you, taught you, trained you, or challenged you. But I'm going to ask you to do something. We're going to, we're going to sing. Our, our worship team is going to sing for a minute. I'm going to give you a few minutes to think about how are you dealing with conflict? Is there an area of your life the Lord's calling you to grow up in? And trust Him in. And walk in conviction in. And is there somebody that you need to do that with? Are you loving well? And ask the Lord to reveal that to you. And then we're going to have a time of worship. And the reason we're going to have a time of worship is because if the Lord calls you to do something, you can't do it alone. This is serious stuff. You need His strength. Let's worship Him. Because he promises, you are mine. I love you. I will be your defender. You have nothing to defend anymore and nothing to hide anymore. Because I'm your truth. Right? Okay. Let's pray and um, then the band will come up and sing while we pray. Okay? Lord, we think about conflict and how unfun it is. How messy it can get because um, we don't know how it's going to turn out. And yet, Father, uh, we're so easily prone to hiding from conflict or abusing conflict and because we have forgotten the gospel. We have forgotten that my identity is not in question. My value is not in question. My protector is not in question. And you call us to be honest. And Lord, how do we do that in love? How do we take all these gifts and express them in love for those around us when we so easily sometimes become afraid or aggressive? So Lord, I pray you speak to us now. Speak in our hearts that we could hear your gospel truth and lead us.